Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Hello and welcome to the program. Again, my name is Michael Anthony Ingram. My special guest is Ross Lane, poet and author Ross Lane. Ross is currently experiencing some difficulty signing on, but we'll be right back.
are back. Again, my name is Michael Anthony Ingram, and I'm here with Ross Lane. Let's bring Ross in. Hello, Ross. Can you hear me? I can, Michael. How are you? <laughs> I'm quite well. And yourself? Um, yeah, I've just had a bit of a frantic run around the house to uh, find a <laughs> device that will uh, connect so I can talk to you. But uh, aside from that, all very calm and cool, mate. Yes, fantastic. Well, we're together now. That's the most important thing. Yes, wonderful. Let's begin this journey together, okay? Okay. All right. What is poetry? Um, Start with an easy question. Um, Poetry to me is probably one of the most subjective things that it is because it means different things to different people. Um, For myself, I always assume poetry or believe poetry to be a meeting point, um, a, a nexus of emotional connection, if you like. Um, it is different to everyone, um, like, like food and music and painting. Um, but it's a unifying expression. It's, it's a piece of text that can uh, reach somebody else at their core, uh, create an understanding and a meaning, and um, you know, and. and and something that, that can be beautiful found in, in a common understanding. Um, that, that's what it's always been to me. All right, very nice, very nice. I like that. Why then, and this is a different slam on that first question, why is it important? What's the importance of it? It's incredibly important because um, of its value, um, because it's something that many generations of, of humans have uh, experimented with, have uh, adapted to, have created. So there's a heritage aspect to it as well. But fundamentally, it, it, it goes back to um, one of my favorite books is um, Jonathan Livingston Seagull, um, which is a, a book very much about that sort of search for the self. And I think if you're writing poetry, um, then you're actually doing that. Um, you know, in, in modern times, especially where we tend to deal with things like social media and, and, and very sort of transactional events and experiences. It, it, it's, um, there's something wonderful that there's still a, an art form there that exists and it exists as a, in written form, it exists in books. It, it, there's, there's lineage to it. There's, there's historical context to it. Um, but I, I think it's important because of that. It's, it's the solidifying of a message that, um, is, is not about posting online to get likes and shares um, mm-hmm. or, or reaction. Um, so it does stretch you. For the individual, for the writer, it's important because of that search for the self. Um, it's good to have that um, uncomfortable feeling. Um, you know, and um, one of my favorite writers is a, is a Welsh songwriter called Mike Peters, and he wrote a song called Unsafe Building. I think there's probably no more apt a description of the writer than that. In that, you know, you're putting yourself into an area, especially as a published writer, where you're going to be reviewed and judged and your work discussed. Yes. And I think that's metal testing for an individual as well. Um, so, yeah, there's all sorts of important things around it. Um, but for me, it's very much about that. It's about having that, um, you know, that test of, of expression and, um, and it's a beautiful way to express yourself. You know, it's a very positive thing. Yes, it is. So, yes, it is. Well, let me ask this question. As you think about your body of work, what are some of the predominant themes? Um, <clears throat> my work, um, 
as we've uh, looked at before, is, is very much separating into sections. They, they tend to form trilogies. There's no intention behind that. It just happens. Um, but my, my themes often come down to that certain meaning and, um, and responsibility in life. And, and responsibility, I guess, is, is a hard and, and a difficult way to put it. But fundamentally what it is, is aligning the, the, the order, make sure there's order in the chaos of your life. Um, and that can only be done through, you know, soul searching and, and, and uh, the acts of discovery, which, you know, poetry lends itself to, you know, quite magnificently. Um, and identity is also a kind of a theme, and, and and I wanted to tackle identity in a positive way. Um, and when I write about identity, I'm not writing about, you know, we have a skewed view on that now in modern times, but mm-hmm. my search for identity is actually a search for who you are, not what you are, um, which I think are two very completely different things. Um, I mean, other things are, you know, thoughts that I've had, you know, people who are important in my life, travel, um, memories, all that very important stuff. And, you know, there's a certain amount of documentation as well. You know, as a writer, you, you do tend to fabricate a bit because you obviously don't want to write a biography of yourself because that's not how it should work. Um, but, yeah, it's that, those are the kind of the core pieces that I write, really. And... Um, as I said, I, I found them sort of quite fascinating things to take on, really, over the, over the last 25 years. All right, all right. You know, as you think about a poem, mm-hmm. how does a poem begin for you? With an idea, a form, or an image? Um, it's, it's predominantly an idea. Um, and um, I, I credit a lot of my writing to my subconscious because I think it does most of the work for me. Um, normally a poem for me can start at around 3 or 4 a.m. in the morning and I'll sit up in bed with an idea or I'll, or I'll hear, you know, one or two lines of a poem and, and I let that kind of um, fester and settle and I kind of um, I normally scribble it on my bedside table. Um, and, and the imagery and, uh, and, and the, the form of the poem, that's something that just comes much later. Um, ideas are, I mean, in, in the last book I wrote, um, Ideologue, um, you know, that book was very much around the danger of ideas and, um, you know, how, uh, how we should deal with them and how we should explore them and, and, and examine them thoroughly before we sort of commit to them. Um, because, you know, they can, as, as wonderful as an idea is, it can be a dangerous thing as well. It can be the difference between, you know, dreams and capabilities. And you go back to the old Icarus story there a little bit. Um, but ideas have done, you know, tremendously good things in the world and tremendously bad things in the world. And, I, you know, I, and I wouldn't want to be slave to, to it as a concept. And mm-hmm. poetry lends itself to the exploration of that. Um, you know, turning over those stones and, and looking in those difficult corners to find that uh, that nugget of truth. I mean, ultimately, it is down to interpretation. You know, yes. But, uh, but um, you know, from my perspective, the, the connection as, as the writer is the connection between the, the, the sort of the writer and the page is, is significantly different to the connection between the reader and the page um, because the reader may not have, you know, the, understand the, the writer's accent and and the, also the reader will have a different interpretation of what poetry is. 
and, and so that idea has to be kind of well thought out because when it's written there and it's, it's on page, it, it can't be edited on the computer. It's there on a page and it's there for eternity. So, um, you know, so those ideas need to be really thoroughly examined and you have to make sure that what you're expressing is, is a positive thing or at least a constructive criticism of another idea. Well, please share a point. Um, yeah, well, um, I'll... I'll um, I mentioned um, Mike Peters earlier, um, who's a, um, the Welsh singer-songwriter and the leader of the band The Alarm, uh, who's one of my heroes. And um, I wrote a poem about him called The Man in the Camo Jacket. Um, and it's about uh, me just uh, kind of being at one of his concerts and he was there with his guitar and um, I'm playing beautiful music. And so I, I went home and I wrote this. Leaving stories from a six string. A hero stands before me, pulsing light blood with a jaw heart, and wrapping us in tales of his orchestral soul. We drink in the conversation. The troubadour shapes each delicious morsel, a pure swaddle on melodic swells, heart born and essence charged, waves that break upon our innermost force. His eyes cry out resolve and will. Ascending the claim, each triumphant refrain. The bard draws each shape's journey, carrying each one of us through the odyssey of his songs. Each rhetoric, woven and fashioned from a slice of his whole, memories of comfort, agony and vigor. The artist's heart laid bare in exposition, each shard a window to the full. And that last chord, Reframes closed, the crowd renews his will to birth another, to place another room before us, to punch our hearts with hymns new, and take us again on a journey through his conscience. The rhapsodist reaches down to strum again, the blues harp rings out in eerie harmony, then eyes closed looking for God, the canvas chant is unleashed, to drown us all in his joyous challenge spirit. I wrote that for, for Mike Peters after a concert that I went to because it was incredibly moving and uh, I have uh, nothing but respect and adoration for the man. Yes, that was beautiful. Beautifully Thank written. You. Thank you for sharing. You know, you talk about Mike Peters being an inspiration and influence. Are there others that are great writing influences for you? There's, there's loads. I mean, my writing influence started at a very young age. My father wrote poetry when I was very young. Oh, very nice. And um, and, uh, and and the wonderful poems of again of uh, you know you read them they are little little shards of, of, of early life and um, so that was the start of it. But he was always um, my father, very very intelligent man. And whenever we would listen to music at home, you know, and you know we talking about things like Neil Diamond, especially was a massive inspiration for him and for me. And my father would always encourage me to listen to the lyrics. Listen, listen to the song writers saying, don't just get caught up in the fancy chords and the, the sing-along choruses. What is the man saying? Um, and, and so I, I started really focusing in on words at a very early age, and I owe that to my father um, more than anything else. Um, later on, when I, when I went to um, my comprehensive school, high school as, uh, in, in the U.S., um, I was very lucky enough to be taught by a guy called uh, Mark Jeffrey, who, in my opinion, is the finest example of a, a teacher 
ever come across. I like he really he he's a guy that could really excavate the rich word and uh, we started studying um Seamus the, the greatest poet that's ever lived. And um, Mark was able to really get me to understand Heaney and how Heaney wrote. <clears throat> and he's an incredibly um, charismatic teacher, you know, um, filled the classroom of life. And, um, you know, it makes this world of literature so interesting and, and consuming. Um, and just a fantastic man. I'm, I'm lucky enough to call him a friend now, all these years later. Um, but he was a massive inspiration for me. And um, he brought that traditional literature world alive for me. Of my father's writing enthusiasm, his enthusiasm for this. Um, and then, you know, getting into that world of, you know, true literature then. You know, and especially studying, as I said, Seamus, you know, there's never been an equal, in, in my, my opinion. But again, like I said, poetry subjective. Um, it all sort of came together. Um, the first poem I ever wrote was in one of my classes, actually. Thankfully, the poem doesn't exist today because um, it's truly awful. Um, I wrote it in a Welsh movie class. Um, and um, I never went back and, and, and I did it again quite so quickly. All with such uh, ego and confidence. Um, yeah, Mark, Mark gifted me you know, a, a whole world to understand and go on and so really get the macro out of it. Um, as I said, you know, that, that was built upon what my father taught me to understand and, and think and do at a young age. So I probably those two are probably my two main drivers for that. You know, we have some problems in terms of our connection and it could be due to the distance that we are apart from each other. I'm gonna mm-hmm. ask you to call back in, if that's okay. And we'll continue this journey when you call back in. Thank you, sir. Okay. No problem, sir. Uh, We'll be right back. We'll take a brief break. And we will return. Lane, you know, technology is wonderful when it's working. So hopefully it's working now. Hello, Ross. Hi. How are you doing? I can hear you too. Okay. Oh, great. <laughs> well, let's continue our journey together. You know, poetry is about emotions in many instances. Do you mm-hmm. think that someone can be called a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? Um. Anybody should ever call themselves a poet um, because it's up to the reader to decide if you're a poet or not. I think it's going to be a rupture of poetry. 
but I don't think anyone should ever label themselves a poet. To me, um, no, I think emotion is the central driving force of, of any sort of poetic expression. Um, I, I don't think you can do it without your heart and soul being in it. It's, uh, to, to write a poem and, and to really write something with you know, catharsis about, about yourself um, is an incredibly emotional journey to go on. Um, and sometimes you think you may go to a dark place with that. I mean, personally, I've, I've been known to carry, you know, darker moods for, for days and days while I'm working through a specific work. Uh, likewise, happy moods as well. But um, you know, I've, I've been, you know, I've talked about my parents earlier, I've been quite lucky in that you know, I grew up in a very emotional house where, where emotions were expressed very freely and very positively. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've never had a fear of, of um, being seen as an emotional person because I, I think you know, emotions are a massive part of who you are. You know, so, you're um, very... Okay, continue. I'm sorry. No, sorry. I'm just, just basically going to summarize it. But yeah, so no, I, I don't think you, you can be a poet, as, as you asked, um, um, without having a very deep vein of um, emotion running through you. All right. All right. You know, you're a very prolific author. Prolific. Extremely prolific. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. you know, it's 25 years worth, you know. It's, um, you know, the, a lot of the earlier books were written a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's time to find a publisher. Um, quite interesting to see, as, as a writer, to see your, your writing style change so much. Um, and looking back now, you know, and um, to... Some of the early work that I did um, that, that really started on because when I started studying poetry um, I wanted to write poetry um, but everything I wrote was just terrible um, and, and that's because I overly concerned myself with things like structure and you know um, you know how many syllables per line and have I used accidents there and have I used alliteration there and all these forms, which are wonderful tools for, for a poet, can really, you know, can really strangle an idea sometimes. Yes. Uh, which is why I, I tend to ignore them as much as I can. Is it strangle a thought with a meter? Then you, actually, you choke how far that thought has to travel. Well, I don't think that's a positive thing to do. So I, I was taught by Lady Fortuna Pugh, an incredible English poet, and, and he gave me a single piece of advice, which I'll stick to, which is just write as much as you can on a page, and then go back and start crossing out words. And when the only words you have left are the ones that you, you can't do without, um, that's when you have the kernel of your poem, and you work from there. Um, and that works incredibly well for me. Does writing energize or exhaust you? Um, both um, more exhausting than energizing, um, but um, the it, 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 it scales of just um, the um, the exhaustion and the, is worth it because uh, ultimately you're creating something, and there's you know it, it's a gift to be able to create something and share it with people. Um, not that I'm saying that what I have is a gift. What, what I'm saying is it's, it's a blessing to be able to create your connections through, through things that you write. Please share a poem. 
Um, well, I, I mentioned um, my first poem, uh, which was about a place in Scotland called Glen Finnan. Um, and I, um, I struggled for months and months and months writing not very good things. And I sat there one night with a, a glass of um, Highland Scotch and a cigar um, in a, on, a, on a jetty near um, Loch Shiel in the Highlands. And, and I started writing about the place I was in. And um, it's probably my first real poem. It was the first poem I ever had published. Um, and the, um, but it's um, just called Glen Finnan. Hills and clouds frame blue skin. Cobalt mountains catch snow in crowns. Rocky edges hold back pouring green in the place where silence grows. The river, the river rests on gentle current. Its rippled edges smearing stones to glass. As it moves up the waiting loch, splitting around the viaduct legs. A stone circle protects the clan. Their dead names now carved on walls. And the Highlander, immortalized and cast in stone, looks down protecting ancient souls. At night, the mountains paint the sky in their image. And the black skin stills blow purple and blue. The river rolls on gentle current. While the glen slips away from time to rest. And that was the first time that I, I'd sort of written something. And mm -hmm. I, it actually felt like a poem to me. And um, I've, I've written about the Highlands quite sort of extensively, quite a lot. I find it a very inspirational place. But um, as I said, that was the first time I thought, yes, that, that's a poem. Did you feel <laughs> once you found out that your poem had been accepted or writing is just, it's important to write regardless? Of whether you accept it for publication or not, um, I'd say it's important to do it regardless. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I, I was lucky to find Wordcatcher and um, and talk to David there and, and begin a, a publication journey. Um, but even if that hadn't happened, I would still be writing. Um, mm -hmm. How I would share them, I don't know. I mean, we live in a different world now with uh, the internet and uh, and uh, and all these wonderful tools that we have at our disposal. Um, but I, I would still do it. I would still do it purely because, you know, it, it's a wonderful thing to, to do. And um, it's, it's, a, you know, it's a great, let's call it a hobby, for want of a better phrase. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, it's, um, it, it's been a very enjoyable thing to do. But it can be incredibly frustrating at times as well. But um, it's, it's a very enjoyable thing to do. So please share another. I want to hear more of your work. Please share another. Um, okay. Uh, I'll, well, I spoke about my father, and um, I, wrote, I wrote a poem um, remembering my father uh, working in the garden when I was younger. And I called the poem The Barrow, um, which hopefully will come um, to, to light as, as I go through it. Um, but this is The Barrow, and this is my father. In memory, the old man barrowed time, passing beneath my window, always with a hearable huff. Looking down, I watched his sweating head, remember his autumn turning winter to the tick of the barrow wheel. I watched him gulp down mugs, refilling his frames rind to leak again, setting to nature's mural with his biting spade, carving scenes for window panes to put on view, changing the act old mad portraits held dear. His blue coat, Always zipped and closed, 
arm-ended with paint-dashed gloves, and his back vaulted like a bony dome above the shovel stem, cautioning off old roots to raise the new from dead Slim's furrows. He lifts the handle high again, the blade's flat gleams in watching sun and sets the clay, taking hospital corners, cuts lined with licorice seams, the slices of his blade cutting long lost roots, buried like old spine husks. The only halt, a ring or bell chime from dirt-choked rocks, who chain and clang against the spade's splint splay flat. But he clears it to the barrow all the same, stopping to mop his now-drenched brow, and then back to it, chasing new growth on nature's shabby altar. And uh, that's the that's the you know the, the memory of uh, a, a young child and watching watching his father you know work around the house, mm-hmm. and so you know an important thing again to uh, to you know to document. Yes, I agree one hundred percent. It's important to document your feelings and your your thoughts. Very 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 important. You know, mm-hmm. some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it, while others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on it? Um, you've got um, I mean, they are living, breathing entities, and um, and I think it's um, you know, especially in modern times now, where you know, you can be um, you know, hunted down and burned at the stake for something you did 20 years ago. Um, you know, it's an interesting kind of place for um, uh, for writers to be. Um, for me, it's, it's a living, breathing thing, and if it's if it's honest, mm-hmm. which it always should be, and um, if you were comfortable enough to to publish it at the time, then you stand by it. Um, looking back now over the you know the ten ten books that I've written, um, there's nothing in them that I don't stand by today, and. Um, but also, you know, interpretation is a powerful thing. And um, one of the things I, I always kind of say is you should never really assume that you understand what the poet means um, or the poetry writer means because it's your interpretation. Your, your relationship with the words are completely different to the writer's interpretation of the words. Um, so you should never make an assumption about that. I mean, it's like... Um, I, I, I was speaking to somebody once and they said, I, I read this poem, I didn't like it. And I said, well, that's mm-hmm. fantastic. That's fantastic, mm-hmm. you didn't like it. Because you reacted to it. And you don't assume that the, the writer wanted you to enjoy that particular poem because it may be written and constructed in a way that is challenging and, 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 and is deliberately trying to upset and um, dislodge. You know, I, I am one of the, I, I wrote one many years ago uh, about the boogeyman, you know, and my fiancée, Natalie, that struggles to read it now because um, she finds it uncomfortable to read it. And I thought, well, that's kind of the point. Mm-hmm. Um, likewise, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a kind of, you know, I'm, I love sort of the world and, you know, I've, I've always been a, a, you know, a, a lover of sharks as an animal, fascinated by them, read hundreds of books about them. And um, you know, now and again, I've written pieces about shark finning because I find it disgusting and abhorrent. And it's like, and they are hard to read because they're challenging and graphic. Um, but they should be because that—that's the point—is—is is to you know, for you to be as in, impacted by what we 
for what I'm seeing and how I feel as 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 I as I want you to be. So, yeah, you know, they, they should live, they should breathe, they should evolve. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, and, and but the great ones stand the test of time. And um, you know, and, and that's why you know whether we would see another Shane McKinney in the next thousand years. Probably not. Will, will we see another Dylan Thomas in the next thousand years? Probably not. Um, you know, but that, that's why they are heralded the way they are because what the content and their thoughts uh, and the art they produce stands the test of time and lives and breathes today. Mm. For a moment, I'd like us to look at a poem like it's a cake. All right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you feel are some of the most prevalent ingredients that go into the makeup of this cake, i.e. poem? <laughs> well, cake, cake. I'm a big fan of cake. All right. Um, <laughs> All right. Um, coming, uh, what would I say? I, I think that the, the thought, why I tend to write in what they call stream of consciousness. Yes. Is, is that I, I think that vein that lovely filling then has to run through the entire piece. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's imp- whether it's a landscape poem or whether it's a, a poem about, you know, a patriotic poem or, or a love poem, if, if, you, if you can write those, um, that, that thought and that emotional core has to run through the whole piece. Um, the other sort of ingredients then are the sounds that the poem can make. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of creating, if I write about a beach, I want lots of, lots of S sounds in it to create that sort of, that, you know, so you, you get that feeling that you're there. Um, but it, it, it's that thought, it, it's that, it has to have that spine. And whether that's the lovely cream filling or not, I'm not sure. Um, the sponge, you know, the sponge is decorative most of the time, and icing can be decorative. And um, you, you can use fancy words and you can... Uh, you can use the you old know, fancy poetry techniques, um, but 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 it's 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 heart, it's it's core, it's it's spine, uh, it's it's that lovely filling, it's that um, lovely juicy bit in the middle that you drag out. That's, um, <laughs> that, that, that's, that's the important bit, and you're making me hungry now, mother. <laughs> you're making me hungry. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> all right, all right. Please share another poem for us, sir. Um, well, I spoke earlier about uh, sort of patriotic sort of things, and um, I've written about Wales a, a great deal um, over the last 25 years. And uh, But I found that I was writing about sections of Welsh society um, and not about the country itself. So um, about a year or so back, I, I wrote a poem which I called Wales, where I wanted to describe the land and its people. Um, and um, and uh, this is what I came up with. There is a land whose veins are silent, dark, sown beneath its mountain earth, like the aching threads of stillness, only humming out in history's heart. Through older times and struggle times, tales of men and woe in shafts below, the coffers who sang out psalms from dusty lungs with poppy-stained palms. There are winds who have never heard its tongue, Forgotten now, or missing, and spoken of in myths for years. A people sound much older than the verdant ground, a call to arms for some in pain, the icon of forgotten selves, 
nourished now into to grow and thrive again. Yet the land still stands so proud and strong, and behind our rugged days, tales of struggle woven to haunted song, the wearing breaking of the English yoke, the tide, the rising, the chartists and Rebecca's ghost. From ancient wars we've ached for destiny's sun, long back before the blue book came to crush our tongue. But we still stand as people, bards and patriots all, determined Cymru, land of my father's land of songs. Um, and, and that was my way of describing uh, the country where I'm from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's struggles and it's long sort of history. And um, yeah, I, I, it was important to kind of to write that down and, and, and say it from that perspective of the challenges the language have ha- has had in the past and, um, you know, and, um, and invaders and, and, uh, and things like that. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful musical green lush place I live. I'm, I'm very blessed to be a Welshman. Oh, very nice. I like that because that was going to be my next question to you. How mm-hmm. has, how has growing up living in Wales affected your writing? Well, the Welsh people are a highly emotional people in general. Um, you very rarely find a Welsh person who kind of likes something. Um, they either tend to love it or hate it. And uh, okay. they hate it, they'll, never, they'll never talk with it again for the rest of its life. And if they love it, they'll talk about nothing but it all, you know, for the rest of its life. Um, and, um, you know, and I said my family a great example of that. So we have this um, natural sort of passion. And, um, you know, our... Our hearts are full, and you know, like um, <clears throat> like America, you know, we have this wonderful national anthem that brings you to tears when when you sing it, and um, and uh, we we have a language and a culture and a rich history of our own, you know, which um, connects us back to 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 the wider Celtic tribes in the UK. Um, so I, I think it's hard not to be passionate and, and and be Welsh. I think they kind of go together, you know, and. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and I mentioned my father earlier, but you know, my mother was also a great influence on my writing because my mother is a highly emotional, passionate person. Um, you know, at, at times I refer to her as an emotional tsunami um, because she sort of, you know, she loves all consumingly, and um, <clears throat> you know, and, uh, and that's one of the wonderful things about her. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we're, we're very proud, and um, you know, we're six, six and a half million of us. And um, it's quite unique to be a Welsh, a Welshman, and or a Welsh person. And, um, All right. Yeah. It's very nice. Very nice. I like that. That put a smile on my face. It's very nice. <laughs> very nice. You know, they say, Ross, that to see the world with complete honesty, one should look to comedians, artists, and poets. What do you think emerges naturally from your work? And you've had 25 years to write. So where mm-hmm. has it emerged from your work or from you? Um, um, I, I think that honesty with the self, that's definitely emerged. Um, I, I think, you know, I think we can very easily take the elephant in the room and brush it under the rug sometimes and ignore the big lump in the rug and, and kind of get on with our lives. We, we don't, there's things that we, we need to face up to um, because, you know, one of the reasons I did the first three books, which were about, you know, that sort of formation of the self, and the reason I called the first book Anthology, 
you know, traditionally in anthology is a book written by lots of different authors. Mm-hmm. Um, but because, because the book was written over 25 years, um, you know, I was a very different person at the writing of a lot of those pieces. So it did feel like different authors to me at the time. And, um, and I think it's very hard. I think it's very hard sometimes to space into the fact that, you know, we, we've all been different people. You know, at, at most junctions of our life, we change. We change by society. We change by life events to ourselves. And it's fine to kind of, you know, be the person you are today, but don't forget the people that you were yesterday as well. Yes. Um, so, so holding up that honest mirror to yourself um, is, is a very truthful thing to do. Um, but you need to do it if, if you want to find the meaning in, in, in yourself. And um, you have to look at that mirror no matter what that mirror shows. And... Um, so yeah, I mean, I think you know we we we're blessed with great comedians. You know, the, the Welsh the Welsh comedian Rod Gilbert is exceptional. Um, um, Ricky Gervais is probably my favorite comedian on the planet right now. If you want to talk about honesty and brutal honesty as such. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's I think it's a good place to be. It's a good company to be in comedians and, and poets because um, we are honest, um, but we're only ever honest with our feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there's a there's a there's a big difference between facts and feelings. Um, so um, I can be honest about how I feel, um, but I'm not writing a historical document here, so it, it's not necessarily going to be a riddle with facts either. Yes. Um, it's purely how I feel about something. Um, and, you know, we were talking earlier about ideas and how dangerous they are. And, you know, feelings, you know, you know, feelings of destroyed countries and burned cities, you know, or, or feelings of written the greatest love poems and love songs or, and the greatest pieces of art that, you know, the world has seen, whether it's Van Gogh or, you know, um, you know, Brett Whiteley and, and people like that. So it's, a, it's an incredible kind of collection of things. Um, but the honesty is there in the mirror. And, um, you know, you have to take that on, I think, to to find your meaning, which will which will then make you happy. You know, there's a, yes. that's, that's just how it should work, I think. Wow. Very nice. You really believe in the importance of meaning making, it sounds like. Meaning yeah. making in terms of who we are. Tell me about that. I want to dig a little deeper. Tell me about that. Um I I've I've lived a, a very sort of I would say a, a kind of interesting life. You know, I've I've been lucky enough to be a musician and a and a, a short film writer, script writer and you know, and, and now a, a writer of poetry. Um, you know, I've lived overseas. I've, I lived in Australia for nearly ten years. You know, and, and I've come back to Wales. Um, and it's very easy, I think, to having gone through serious emotional um, events in life. You know, I, I, the mean your meaning, finding your meaning to me is is, is that anchor to your boat in the harbour. Um, and you know, if if your anchor isn't strong, then you're both going to get capsized in waves or storms. So, to be the best person you can be um, mm-hmm. for yourself and for all the people around you, um, you have to understand what your meaning is. And your meaning comes from how you live your life, your your moral compass, um, and, and the responsibilities that you take on in life. Um, and and they're, they're kind of important things. Um, poetry is a, is a great avenue to that because it does let you do that exploration. It, it does allow you to be self-indulgent um, a bit more because you know you, you 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 have the option to 
leave piles of poetry on the floor, which is what I tend to do. So I think, well, that's not going out anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that meaning is, you know, it's I, it, it's it's we see, you know, I stopped watching mainstream media probably about a year ago. Okay. Uh, because I just find it's so sensationalist and it's depressing to watch. And we've been through a very difficult time as a you know, as, as a planet with um with, with the um the the recent outbreak, and, and mm-hmm. I just found it hard to kind of watch it and just hearing you know these twenty four seven news channels just beating you over the head with it, um and it's kind of like yeah and I, I get it it's a global thing, but y- your meaning means that you set your house in order, and you you do the best by your house and your family and, and your friends. And I think if everybody in the world can find their meaning to do the best by themselves and their family and their friends, and, and everyone did that in their own homes, then the world would be fine. Mm-hmm. And the world would be a dramatically better place. So, um, you know, it's, it's about, it's, it's that sphere of influence. It's, it's what can I fix and what can I help and understanding that. It's not about, you know, being, having no concern about wider global issues. Um, right. But it's about looking at them from a, a place of, you know, from a solid place of perspective uh, and you're finding your meaning gives you that. So what do you think is the role of a poet in modern day society? The role of a poet in modern society is to, is to write something that somebody enjoys to, to make sure that emotional olive branch reaches someone. Um, but, Ultimately, as I said earlier, the relationship as the writer is is, is between myself and the page. Okay. Um, I I think we can positively influence, and I hate that word influence because I'm I'm not an influencer because I I don't like that at all. Um, But if I can write something that somebody enjoys, and if I can write something that um, is is meaningful to somebody else or make somebody else think about something, mm-hmm. then, uh, you know, then that, that, that's my role. I, I don't see any bigger or larger than that. I don't think my role is to change the world or save the world. Um, I think my role is to, to write, to entertain, and to maybe, you know, spark a thought process. Or two. That, that, okay. That's it. Okay. Well, please share two poems this time. Thank you, sir. Two poems. Um, yes. Well, I mentioned my mother. I mentioned my mother earlier, and um, this is um, one of my poems. One of my favorite poems I wrote about, about her cooking um, in um, in the kitchen in in Kamark, where she lives. So um, this poem is called "Home at Home." I will take you there to feel the heat of my mother's stove, where her spitting, rabid, gargling pot boss and hiss chops with potatoes until she trickles the hazy water into browning pan with meat juices and flour to stir, shake, and shiver into perfect toothsome umber gravy. We all hang like a gallery, hidden from outside by cloudy, dewy windows, noses full of the alluring scents, gorging on anticipation as a starter until our quarry served, and then to fill ourselves to brim Sometimes it's just mam and I, and so we drift to music, wrap ourselves in philharmonic waves, or grab and clutch at the music's lyrics there, finding light's mirror in exquisite words, 
as we try and weigh them, holding back the joyful, deep lament born in the harmony that shine into the cartoon's frame on the pulsing grill cloth carpet. And, you know, that's um, a, a, a sort of a scene from home where, you know, my mother's cooking and um, and we listen to music and we, uh, you know, and we listen to the lyrics and uh, we do all those kind of wonderful things that, you know, that families do in the home. Mm. <laughs> um, I mean, speaking of sort of artwork, I have a poem here that I wrote um, um, about Vincent van Gogh. Uh, which is called Vincent, um, because you know I, I think his work is, is beautiful and moves me and inspires me. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll read that one. <clears throat> Those magnificent churns of pain, the worlds as you world, an imperfect world laid out in perfect cambered impasto. On the board, you caught the tides of the sky, Framed wind in open leaning lands and captured sun's chill in starlight shadows. What is it they could not see? The careless and obtuse, gazing out towards their nose tips in perfect flaw and visage. On walls, the flowers boil in bula bases, crooked trees birth from amber paths, and weak blades shift beneath shrouding crows. There are fables in the hue, his soul gleaming, shadows gifted to the watching death, walking below your perfect heaven calms. Yet I cannot pass your starry night, because my soul drifts free and unshackled on the dreams within your contours. I can feel you lift me to your stars, and I can hear you there. Um, and that poem's called Vincent. You know, your work is so powerful, Ross. Thank you. Thank you very much. It really, really is. How has your idea of what poetry is and what it can do changed since you began writing poetry? Um, I don't think it has changed. Um, okay. I, I, think it, I, I think I've always seen it as an artwork. Um, I still see it as an artwork. I still read a lot of poetry because I, you know, I, I believe in it as an artwork. Um, and I enjoy it. Um, and I think it's probably the enjoyment that I get from reading it that I, I want somebody to have when reading what I've written. Um, so my, my idea and concept of it haven't changed. Um, I, I didn't realize initially how um, challenging it would be to be a published author, to, to go through that process of feeling that um, you know, that work is out there. Um, and. The, the, the publication process is odd because you kind of create something and it's, it's, it's kind of like a child. Mm-hmm. And then when it goes to a publisher, it's kind of like giving your child to somebody else. Yes, I um, agree. So I, I wasn't fully prepared for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, I found that challenging. But, you know, it, it's nice to go back to some of the books now and, and, and read some of the older pieces and, you know, and um, go, well, yeah, I wrote that and, and it means something. And, um, you know, the feedback that I've had, you know, positive and negative, which you have to expect when you're doing this, is um, is a great experience because, it, you know, as I said, it's just as important to move somebody enough to tell them to tell you that they don't like what you're doing as it is to move them to tell you that they do. Yes. Um, so any reaction is a good reaction. Mm-hmm. 
Now, do you belong to a writing group or a community? Um, no, I don't. I um, I um, I have my own um, um, Facebook page, um, and um, where I you know put any sort of information on books, and I also create sort of videos um, to go with readings of my poetry that I share on YouTube. Um, but I'm not part of <clears throat> any wider sort of writing group. Um, I have I have friends you know, that are writers. Um, Arthur Cole, who I know you know, is a good friend of yes. mine. Yes. Yes. Uh, um, and we do. Yeah, we, we do podcasts together, and you know we're both very different writers. Um, so it's always good to have a podcast with him and have very different perspective on things. Um, and, and also Nigel Williams, who's a um, and Russ Garrity, who are you know a, a fiction mm-hmm. writers here in Wales, and um, I, you know he's a good friend of mine as well. So um, it's good to share like that with a writing community. Um, but as far as groups are concerned, no, I'm, I'm I'm not a member of anything. You're a seasoned writer. You know this. What I'm advice, great. <laughs> what advice would you give to an aspiring writer, an aspiring poet? Um, write and write and write and write. Tell and, me more. Um, <laughs> yeah, just don't think you're going to get it right first time because you won't. Um, mm-hmm. be, be ready for someone not to like it. Um, don't just because your parents and your friends tell you it's good doesn't mean that it is. Um, but write about yourself. Start by writing about yourself because writing a poem is about understanding something, and um, understanding yourself is is that strong spine and vein that should go through your work um, and, and set what you're about. But as I said, you know the advice from Sheena: fill up the page, cross out words, and um, whatever you have left with. That's what you should do. Whenever I talk to you know younger people about writing, then I always sort of give them a little challenge, and I go, I tell them to think of something, and then when they've thought of it, I said, now write down what it looks like, then write down what it smells like, then write down what it tastes like, then write down what it feels like, and once you have that, you kind of have the the basis of a poem, mm. um, because you're hitting all those sort of descriptive sort of elements. Um, but my advice is honestly just write and express yourself and um, never compare yourself to another writer because that's unfair on you. Um, and don't, don't worry about your style. Don't worry because you're not writing in a traditional or a, or a you know, standardized style. Just express yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and don't, my other piece of advice is don't overly think over it. You know, maybe go back to it three or four times walk away from it because ultimately you know there's poems I have in books that if I wrote them now I'd go back and change them so uh, at some point you have to put the baby to bed and um, need to be prepared to do that who are you as a result of being a poet um I'm probably more thoughtful than I used to be because of it okay um I'm probably more expressive than I used to be because of it. Um, but fundamentally, I think I'm still at times, you know, one of the wonderful things about writing about your past is that, you know, if you get it right, like with the poem, The Barrow, you know, it takes you back to that feeling of being that young young kid watching his father work or, mm-hmm. you know, watching your mother cook in the kitchen. Um, but I, I don't think it's changed me. Okay. It's, um, it's just maybe chiseled off some of the rough edges. Let's put it that way. Okay. 
We have time for one more piece. One more piece. Well, I'll I'll, um, I'll give you a love poem to finish. And, um, oh, I love that. Very nice. Yeah. So this poem is um, called Fishing Park, a Willow Tree, which is by a pond, and um, it's a um, teenage girl to have a glass kiss on a cuddle. <clears throat> okay. Even our shadows hold hands along the winding path of the fishing harp. Spirit in the till the canal rib, a chalk powdered path stuck in left before the old tired bridge. Over the fence, over the fence and through the coppice, tearing sleeves and jeans and the rusty thorny wings of your curators, then on through soggy greens and mud baths to where the fishing harp went. To hear its old best back, wind mid bow as it reached into the mill pond, to swing on the pedal's edge, its last bow screaming at the aimless turf and falling out. At harp top, it rested its face in gentle billow mirror, the leaves dancing meek breakers, while the vines strung softly to water down the board, fluttering musically. We sat on a trunk to watch it. A fallen, fixed, and land-abandoned chunk, long drowned in fantail ponds, above the slap of sap-trapping waves to petrify you in death. Among butting midgy clouds at dusk, the winter sun fails like a cheating lamp. Its last fleck glints on green top birds, waterfowls mid-pincer, carving furrows near the fishing heart. Sitting, we joined our hands just near the fishing heart. Swamped in gentle sounds, our eyes then made parley, and from there it's all a little fuzzy. I'm sure there's a love poem for you. Do you think that you were meant to be a poet? Um, possibly, um, um, and probably not a poet that I've been through. Um, I think it would be a much, um, I'd be much more, I'd be unfulfilled if I wasn't a writer. I, I think it was something that uh, I needed to do. And, um, and so I, I get a great deal of fulfillment, satisfaction, and meaning from writing. Um, whether I'm meant to do it or not, I don't know. Um, but, okay. Uh, it just happened to brought me to you. All right. All right. What's, what's next for you creatively? Um, I've written, I've written Two more books. Um, one about um, Yellow and the Catalonia, where um, quiet and peaceful place to be alone with your thoughts. Um, and uh, I've written um, a book called Junior, uh, which is about uh, the wonderfulness of ordinariness. Um, and it's talked about how you don't need to be, you know, uh, you, don't, you don't need to be the world's best at anything, something competency is the world needs. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, but those are the next two that are with my publisher at the moment, um, and um, hopefully we'll come up now within the next 12 months. Um, and I'll probably continue to write. I, um, you know, I think opportunities to write in weeds for the situation. Um, you know, the last time I wrote, I, I wrote in, um, in a barber's, a chain of barber's. Um, looking at what the, there's a, I'll go to the same head that I did when I was a and the guy that ever cut ever cut my hair working, and um, and I sat there and I was sort of having my hair cut and watching him in the mirror, and um, and I wrote a poem and I was planning to take a bit of time out from it, but um, 
it, it just sort of came and that, that's the, uh, the interesting thing about it. It's quite intrusive on your But, um, you know, we, we keep writing as, as the idea comes. We keep writing. You know, you are an incredible poet, and I'd like to thank you for being my guest. I've well, enjoyed well, listening uh, to your work. Well, I've enjoyed talking to you, and uh, thank you for your so patient of answering my technical uh, issues earlier. All right, sir. Well, to you, I say thank you. To our listening audience, I say thank you as well. And as I share every time we're together, let poetry ring. Please take care of yourselves. Until next time, take care. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.